0: Wednesday night edition of the Dunked On Basketball NBA podcast. Danny going to join me to go over some news. Wade has joined the Cleveland Cavaliers. Jermichael Green back in Memphis. TJ Warren extension. All this college stuff that I guess we have to talk about, even though college basketball is not my favorite. And then Fred Katz is going to come on. After the Mellow Trade, we felt we needed to revise our preseason predictions so he's going to spend about 20 minutes talking about what the mood's been like in OKC how he's how they're going to use Carmelo and what their team looks like now in the wake of that trade but first let's bring in Danny and let's start with Dwayne Wade getting bought out first of all in Chicago a surprisingly high number that he gave back I do not I think the last time someone gave back quite this much that I can recall was Darren Williams and Williams had an expectation of being able to get a pretty sizable deal from Dallas, whereas Wade, I think, always knew he was gonna take the minimum and go to Cleveland.
1: Yeah, I mean he left about six million dollars on the table through the move because I think what I heard is that he left about eight he took a buyout of eight million then he got the minimum two point three with the Cleveland Cavaliers and that's pretty significant. I mean I'm not gonna to diminish that at all. That's pretty impressive if you want to call it that. And you know, I think one of the stories of this year, because Kevin Durant also took less money, and we can there are different levels of with that one, but players are taking less money to be happier, and it's allowed. You know, the Miami guys actually took less money back in the day, but this is a different kind of sacrifice, and while you can kind of wonder about the differences between this and Carmelo, one of the other big distinctions is that with Melo, I really understood, okay, this is how he's going to fit in, and yeah, there are some downsides, but there's plenty upside too— With Wade, sure, talented player, better than some of the guys on the roster, but I worry that he's going to be used in a way that actually is at least somewhat detrimental to Cleveland. Yeah, that's
0: certainly a possibility. We'll talk a little bit more about the finances in a moment, but I think that's right. And if you think about it, really... While LeBron James is much better than Jimmy Butler, and Derrick Rose even at this stage is probably better than Rajon Rondo, The it sounds like Wade is going to start. So to start the season, Isaiah Thomas now, we found out at Cavs Media Day, looks like January is when he's going to return. Also, uh, and when Thomas comes back, that's going to be really interesting to see who gets more shots, him or Wade, because... He's way better than Wade at this point, but Wade and LeBron are boys and Wade has the pedigree where Thomas maybe doesn't as much and also Thomas off the ball can shoot and Wade can't. Uh, But for right now, this is like maybe a a similar issues with that three alphas legendary group in Chicago when it was Rondo, Wade and Butler in that LeBron is the best of those three guys, and yet the other two can't shoot, so you kind of want to put the ball in their hands, but then you're taking the ball out of the hands of by far your best playmaker, and now at least Cleveland has Kevin Love as a shooter, but does this mean now that Jay Crowder is going to come off the bench? Because Crowder is way better than Wade, especially when you have plenty of playmakers other than... Wade himself you know, you don't need his shot creation as much and then you know maybe you could say I, I think they'd be better off just starting Wade at the point but then they don't really have someone who's good at guarding point guards not that that's Derek Rose either so the fit there are some major questions here and while LeBron and Wade were able to make that work in the early years in Miami when they were two of the three best players in the league probably that first year that they were there it got to the point where with Wade and LeBron on the floor together Wade actually was hurting LeBron's efficiency. He declined as a player. And so the fit is so bad here that I'm not really sure it's worth it. But hey, you know, at least like LeBron will be made happy because he gets to hang out with his buddy all year.
1: Gets to hang out with his buddy all year, and then he can leave and play with his buddy somewhere else if he wants to. But Wade <laughs> has a, a se- there are a series of problems with the fit here. You brought up the biggest one to me is on the offensive end. Wade is a still a wonderfully talented player, but what he does well is not something that Cleveland needs. They don't really need that distributor, especially if they're going to start him. If he's on the second unit, then yeah, you need somebody who can who can shoulder that load. Unless they're going to stagger Isaiah and LeBron long term, we don't know exactly what they're going to do there. And I like the Isaiah LeBron thing. So if you can avoid staggering them, I'm totally on board. But Wade. Yeah, and
0: especially when Isaiah comes back, then Wade really needs to go to the bench and they really need to start Crowder because, again, like you have the same problem. And JR problems is getting marginalized
1: where, too. Yeah. And JR fits right? in with, with LeBron as well. I mean, he's a guy who takes the shots he needs to. And yeah, he takes a few ill advised ones, but at least he you have to respect his abilities face forward. And he's a much, much better defender than Wade is at this point. And yeah. Wade, I mean, best shot blocking guard of all time in all likelihood, an amazing instinctual guy at moments, but he hasn't been that game to game defender for years now. And that's a concern. He's 35. I think he'll turn 36 before the end of this season. And Wade, so, so let's have a quick, quick stat on the offensive end. Wade made 45 threes last year. That's the most that he's made in any season since 2010, 2011, and double basically almost any other season since 2010, 2011. So he doesn't provide that. Obviously, Derrick Rose doesn't either. And if you're going to also be playing a center who can't shoot... Probably Tristan Thompson and Tristan Thompson's other skills are worthwhile to be there. And you talked about how he starts, and I agree that that's important. But I'm more concerned with how they finish, because yes. Wade is completely superfluous with a lot of what the Cleveland does. But he has this aura. He is a you know he has an unquestioned Hall of Fame career. And talking about what Wade is now should not be meant to denigrate that. But he doesn't make sense on this team, but there's going to be so much pressure, not only because of his reputation, but because the best player on the team and the guy who runs the ship on that franchise happens to be really, really good friends with him. So if Wade closes games, all of a sudden they have this severe weakness against talented teams that you can't wash away because Wade is bad defensively. And you talked about the idea of, oh, they can play him at the one. And I, I, I've i heard that a little bit. He can't defend point guards at all. He, he can't. No, he's no, not no, going to run. He's not going to run around screens. He's not going to do any of that. So, yeah, he can. You know, you can use him in certain capacities as a nominal point guard. This is, as you know, why I irritatingly sometimes refer to the difference between a point guard and a primary ball handler. It's because of guys like Wade and LeBron, obviously. And so the reason is that he can't defend ones at all. So if you, you can play him there nominally, but it doesn't make any sense. And... When there are times when a player, you know, you know that, but you still can't make do right decision. I mean, you can think about that with Sabonis in Oklahoma City before they got Taj Gibson. There are various examples of where teams have hamstrung themselves for reasons outside of basketball, and you know that's a part of the sport. But Cleveland has severe aspirations. This isn't some fringe playoff team that's appealing to their best player this is a legitimate title contender and they're they're limiting their own ceiling because they want to make lebron happy
0: now if they brought i understand the thought right hey 2.3 million dollars dwayne wade talented player let's bring him in why not you know, and Dan Gilbert will now be paying an additional six million in luxury taxes for that privilege. And you know, making LeBron happy is good. Generally, bringing players in to make other players happy doesn't really seem to work that well. There's a reason that personnel people are personnel people, and that players are, are players. They don't follow the league as closely. But you know, certainly Wade is worth that salary in a vacuum it's just what you said he's going to be not only taking playing time away from likely superior players but shots in particular it would very much not surprise me he almost certainly will have a higher usage than kevin love a much superior offensive player even when you know we've said that love isn't that great just posting up against other power forwards getting him involved in the action running plays for him coming off of screens getting him into the post against mismatches for quick duck-ins, you know, all of that. He's extremely efficient, and Wade is not that anymore. 51% true shooting, but still a 29% usage last year. And then even worse, Isaiah. Now, maybe Isaiah, a lot of this maybe is insurance, right? Like if we were just, oh, Wade is insurance. Maybe Isaiah never comes back. We need some more shot creation. That's all fine, but he's not going to be insurance even when Isaiah comes back, especially when he's been integrating with this team for three months before Isaiah even... Returns and so it wouldn't shock me if both. If Wade is a higher usage than both Isaiah and K Love, and you know is of course far less efficient than either of them, I expect him to get a little bit more efficient this year, but not much. I mean, this is we've seen where he took shots out of Butler's hands last year. He had a higher usage than Butler last season. We saw where he took shots out of the hands of Goran Dragic the year before. Freed from Wade last year, Dragic was outstanding, and so yeah, he has the name. He is just used to playing this way, but. I foresee a lot of problems. And then of course, you know, defensively, it's going to be a big problem there too. So, and maybe he'll play 22 minutes a game and can bring it more defensively. And I think, he had a few moments in the playoffs especially in those first two games of the old wade defensively and maybe he can cut more you know he really has gotten away from cutting since lebron left you know he can try to create some more gravity that way there was a famous piece from pelton and, and Haverstrow about how he had a lot of gravity as a cutter back in uh, 2013 but it's i think it is likely to me that this will hurt more than help in in the end
1: also uh i mean pretty nice piece of business for the bulls to get out of that much money oh god especially yeah, the, the,
0: the bulls the bulls uh they win the financial game you got to give them that they don't win on the floor but they win the financial game
1: and yeah they don't get to advertise wade but i don't think they were he was going to sell many tickets for this turd of a team so i i think that they it worked out in that direction and we talked a little bit about the miritich signing in the last episode and I want to use that as a transition point to talk well, one, about one more
0: thing here on white because I know I know Go where ahead. you're going here and i and I and I do want to get into that uh but uh for the Bulls it, the point was made that oh like the savings don't help them because they still have to make it to the minimum salary anyway which they're below even though they're operating as an over the cap team right now just due to that Butler trade exception well it still helps to have that space because you can take on salary and Of course, they still do have that trade exception as well, but if they need to get rid of that, they can take on – they're not going to save as much because now the formula has been updated in the new CBA where you can't just like get up to the minimum salary nominally by the end of the year and then avoid – Having to pay guys for two thirds of the year like that—that that now is no longer the case. They still would be responsible for meeting the minimum salary, but that doesn't matter. Like you can just pay extra if you don't get there, and you might as well hold on to that space as long as you can. So getting an extra eight million dollars in space is very useful for the Bulls. If they want to take on some bad contracts or otherwise use that space during the season.
1: That is a good point, and I'm happy that you made it. But so the the. Parallel that I wanted to make is so Nikola Mirotic got two years, $27 million, but that second year is a team option. And so we talked about the structure of that contract. And the one that came out today is Jermichael Green, also a restricted free agent power forward with the Memphis Grizzlies. He got two years, $17 but from what it sounds like, that second year is guaranteed, it's all established. And some people were talking about the idea of, oh, you know, look how much less money he got than Miritich. And for me, that was, look at the value of a team option, because it gives Chicago so much more flexibility. And both of these teams are dealing with money in different ways. You know, Memphis is... You know, they're kind of at the luxury tax more area because of their other expenditures. But Chicago, they're perpetually a cap team at this point. You know, they're looking to see when they want to spend their money. So they valued this differently. And Chicago paid a premium for that flexibility.
0: This is the question that I wanted to ask you. you, Would you rather have a two-year $17 million contract or a two-year $27 million contract second-year team option?
1: As the team or as the player? As the player, I think I would take the 227 just because if so, let's say it's about 12 and a half for the first year, 13 or whatever it's not that much money that you have to make in the second year and you right. get and you get but I and you get the option especially with these two teams of maybe getting to choose your own destination it is though a close call when you consider just where the market might be next year but remembering that he's that i mean guess against like miritich in this case is going to be unrestricted if they decline that option so he doesn't have to wait out the market in the way that both those guys did this year so i would take the 227 but it is a closer call than people think and that's why these are two reasonable contracts that prioritize different things
0: yeah and these and this is i'm just saying you mentioned that i'm just saying in a vacuum which would you prefer and i think i i agree with you but these guys are in two different situations right like Jermichael green he's 27 i actually think he's probably a more valuable player than than miritich although it's close miritich has a higher upside to me especially offensively but green more valuable defensively and So for Miritich, I do think he's very likely to get more than $4 million next year. So you probably would rather be in his situation. And he also has the ability to block a trade because of that team option now, too. If it were non-guaranteed, he couldn't block the trade. So that helps to avoid getting sent somewhere he doesn't want to go. And there's a chance either that they they pick it up, uh, or if they don't, then it'll be unrestricted, as you said. I mean, this is a great deal for Memphis, So I mean, we haven't made that point yet that to get their starting power forward on a two-year deal at 27 green is a guy who was once a near like nuclear athlete type of guy he's already slowed down a little bit in that regard but he's his shooting has come so far from where he was as a fringe prospect earlier in his career but now the Grizz are going to get the two good years out of him, and he probably won't be a starter level of player two years from now when he's 29, and this will be the only like big contract that he gets. But he was in trouble because he had made basically no money in his grid, been making the minimum up until now. So with that being the case, he really had to just swallow and take this, and still $17 million is not chump change and his qualifying offer was very low it was like two million dollars so he was better off just having to do this and great job by memphis holding out for really what i think is absolutely an ideal contract for them i would rather have him for two years than even a third year at, at this money given where he is at age wise and the fact that he really just became a, a reasonable shooter last year so this is a great deal for the memphis grizzlies uh and you know i will tell you what like. I think he's a much better player than Mason Plumlee and they got him for much cheaper than Plumlee.
1: And he has much more utility. And so there was this kind of split in terms of the approach here. So Memphis wielded substantially more power due to the process because green was limited to teams that had cap space or, you know, a big exception and wanted to use it on him. And they were just the match rights and everything else teams got scared off. And so they had that, but green had the value for them of being a player at a position of need who is capable so you know if they want to be competitive this year they need somebody like jermichael green they have a bunch of lottery ticket type guys at power forward they actually just shed one of those guys we'll talk about that in a little bit but they don't have a guy who can really be considered the answer at power forward and they didn't have salary flexibility to get that guy the limited flexibility they did have they used on wings and you can do that but i mean ben macklemore isn't going to start at power forward for you he's not going to solve those problems tyreek and a couple other guys so they yeah. they were Parsons kind of. Parsons is an
0: injury risk. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they so didn't have much.
1: they needed Jermichael Green, and it's it's good that it got done before, you know, this got really hairy. So yeah, well done by them and Green, you know, it's while it's unfortunate because you think that if he had been an unrestricted free agent this year, I think he would have gotten more money. He still does get what is significant for him, as you said, a guy who was toiled and before the offseason you and I had talked about Joe Ingles as being the older restricted free agent that the process was really unfair for but I think Jermichael Green ended up being the guy who was hurt more by that just because of the nature of the process
0: yeah that's uh, that's definitely true also in Memphis Jarrell Martin waived uh, or he has not actually been waived yet he is given oddly enough I haven't heard of this the opportunity to just stay in camp to showcase himself if he wanted to but the reporting is that he will, in fact, be waived. He is guaranteed this year, his third year, twenty-fifth pick back in 2014. There, if you remember going back then, there are reports that he had been promised there. He then broke his foot, had additional foot issues, showed a few flashes, but never really got going, and then had a horrendous summer league this year. And I think they're doing him a favor in some degree to say, hey, before camp. We're going to just release you now so you can get on somewhere else and be in camp with them, as opposed to just having him go through camp and what they, he wasn't going to be part of their plans anymore. But this just continues now. These Memphis picks in the 20s, I mean, think of like Jamal Franklin was like, uh, I think he was like, you know, early second round pick, it didn't really work out. Obviously, Jordan Adams had a few very small flashes, but then got injured. And it looks like his career is basically over. He really disappointed in summer league. I shouldn't say disappointed, but wasn't a good in summer league this year. And now Martin, also another guy who is impacted by injuries. And so Memphis, it's tough, especially when you're right up against the tax. They did manage to find green. They've managed to find Andrew Harrison, but they have struck out pretty wildly. And it looks like Wade Baldwin another guy who's going down that path. And we haven't heard any noise from Deonta Davis either. So it's been difficult for Memphis to find some of these guys and to just waive a guy. Obviously, you know, his fourth year option was never exercised. is uh, It's got to be disappointing for Memphis fans.
1: Yeah, from what I re- can recall, the best guy taken in the last, like, 10 years by Memphis in the late first round is Damari Carroll. And his value was provided largely in other places.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, other other locales. And let's get to Phoenix now. We can start with the injury to Alan Williams. He joins his teammate, Devon Reed, and they have also had Eric Bledsoe in previous years. Uh, but this is actually going to be a meniscus repair for Williams. That means that it's going to be about a six-month recovery. You imagine it's unlikely that he will return this season. And as you mentioned on Twitter, it's really a shame for him given the structure of his contract.
1: Both of his remaining seasons are non-guaranteed. He took this, you know, it was a three eighteen, but the last two years, I believe it's the third year as a team option, then this last second year is has a potential light guarantee, but I don't even think he's going to qualify for that considering he's not going to play or barely play. And that's too bad. I mean, it's unfortunate for him. He had worked his way in. And yeah, he's going to get six million or thereabouts from this year, which is nice. But he's not he's probably if they decide to let him go, then he will not be going with a ton of momentum. And Alex Len now actually gets a silver lining for him that he'll probably get more reliable minutes now than it looked like he was going to because Alan Williams, you know, I wouldn't say Alan Williams had supplanted him in the rotation anyway, but they were going to be competing for minutes at the very least.
0: Yeah, and it looks like Len will now at least have some ability to showcase himself on that qualifying offer i'm not going to say that they're not going to necessarily pick that up for williams next year that 5.5 million and because and now that they've extended tj warren they really have no path at all to cap space next season and so maybe they'll say hey you know there's not much opportunity cost to keeping this guy around at 5.5 let's see if he can come back we saw something in him last year. And and also, it's quite possible, too, that Len will just clearly be moving on at that point. So let's get to Warren now. Four years, $50 million. This is one that we actually were not able to come anywhere close to an agreement in our mock rookie extensions podcast. But What do you think of that number for Warren?
1: The number itself isn't too bad. I mean, that's less than starter money in the new world. It's probably, you know, solid, solid rotation, though, like six man type. And I I think that's going to be his role for the Suns moving forward. And that's why this was such a surprise for me was not that the value is off. I think the value is fine. But they just drafted Josh Jackson, who will be starting at a forward position, presumably the three. And they have Dem Booker the two, so sliding him over isn't really possible. But they've also invested so much in other forwards. Marquis Chris is pretty much a straight four to me. Bender can bounce between the four and the five. And then they have, you know, basically draft assets, not only their own picks, but they have a pick from Miami. And so you're just kind of going, well, how sure are they that TJ Warren is a part of their future? And yes, you can make the argument that his contract probably passes the Nene test so they maybe they can move it but if that he's good it though
0: I, I you know I think I think, it, I I think it's, it's on does. the borderline
1: I think it does for some teams yeah. but maybe not for others you know and that's and that's well, the way so, it a but lot of
0: let this. me ask you though like I, I mean if you're trying to be good at this point he doesn't really help you right he's got to he's got to make some strides defensively and he's got to be able to hit shots I love him as a score as an opportunistic story he's fantastic getting out in transition, and really one of the best finishers in the NBA going to the basket, whether it's from floater range or right at the rim. All that, he definitely has a skill level there that you really can't teach. But there's not much else there yet. And if you're trying to be a good team, he's not going to space the floor. He's not really someone who is going to go one-on-one and score. So you can't really put the ball in his hands. And yeah, you can cut along the baseline, get some garbage buckets that way, but you're not necessarily guarding him on the perimeter. So his fit is very difficult. And then on this team as well, as you mentioned, right, like... I'm not sure maybe if he has a great year, he becomes tradable on that. Maybe he grows into it. Yeah, you know, I've As I said, I like some aspects of his talent. He, he's kind of like in some ways an Ennis Cantor type, but at the, at the forward position, right? As, as at the three, but I think he could get better defensively. Maybe that's where it can happen for him, but you know, they're probably going to start Josh Jackson and they have all these other guys at the four. There aren't really minutes for him at the four. So potentially he and Jackson could play together. That's a pretty rough fit. So I'm not sure that he's set up to have this great year now that's going to make him an asset on that four for 50. I'm just surprised they went in this direction. I think I would have wanted to see what he looked like this year, how he shook out. The chances of him getting more than this in restricted free agency to me were quite low because I just didn't think he was going to have the opportunity. Now, maybe there are people around the league who really love him, Maybe they just feel like we need to bring guys back. But especially, I think this is going to eat into now their 2019 space also that you would think, hey, maybe that's when this team is really getting good. And I'm not sure that he's movable on that deal.
1: Whether or not he passes the Nene test is sort of a separate question from could they have gotten him yeah, for less? And th-
0: and by the way, we, we we get asked about this sometimes. Can you just define the yes. Nene test again? So the Nene, Nene test people, is ba- periodically we should yeah, do that. Back
1: when Masai Ujiri ran the Nuggets, he signed Nene to an extension. I don't remember the exact terms. I think it was like four forty. Oh, no,
0: I I should I should have just defined it because now we're getting, we're now we're going to get like the five minute story. No, no, i right not. Though. But it's so a, he signed him to an people, extension. People love us.
1: He signed him to an extension, and then I think it was. Less than six months later, traded him to the Wizards for Javale McGee, who at that time was a talented young player who who was hadn't gotten his next ba- his first big contract. So basically, the idea of an innate, con- innate test is was coin. It was co- M- M- Amin Al Hassan and I kind of came up with it together. Was is this player an asset on their contract? And ideally, it's right after it was signed, but it can be whenever.
0: Yeah, can you? Would you be able to just dump this guy for nothing or not? You know, yeah. if you trade a guy, are you having to give up assets? To get rid of him or are you going to get something back or could you just dump him for nothing if he's just kind of a a neutral guy so So like for example troy daniels
1: just failed the Nene test because they had to include a better second with him than the the nominal one they got back
0: correct yeah that's exactly right and for warren maybe you know this is a four-year deal you know it's not necessarily about even the first or second year but i just i don't see what the opportunity is for him to grow on this team I and mean, i think he would be much more valuable on a team that had a lot of shooting that had some great passers and that had more of a defensive culture that could teach him to use what i think are reasonable defensive tools not amazing uh to actually get out on the floor and defend so i i probably wouldn't have done this one and i thought i thought i i mean we thought we were being realistic and not coming to an agreement that wasn't the case you see a lot of times these extensions are made. And sometimes these guys turn into unbelievable players. You know, there's there's some upside here that they could get a really good player for 12 million a year, but I, I don't necessarily think that the odds of that maybe are as high as uh, Phoenix management does.
1: To, one, one other point I want to make quickly is that even if, you know, teams see him as an asset, there aren't going to be that many trade partners if what Phoenix is looking for at some point is cap flexibility, because there's so much money that is still on team's books and if they're looking for an expiring contract or something like that, I mean, maybe they'll find something in that range, but it's going to be a real challenge. And so it's it's kind of a perilous situation for them, for a guy who hasn't earned a spot and who doesn't clearly fit with the players that they seem to have above him in the pecking order. It's just a strange move to commit to at this point. And yeah, it's, it's frustrating in that way because Phoenix is, you know, obviously they're not good right now. And so you think, well... Why are they committing to something unless there's a risk premium and there isn't really a risk premium here?
0: Okay, let's move on a little bit to this college thing. So I'm going to try and summarize it. I haven't been paying that much attention to it, to be honest, but it's something we should talk about at least a little bit. But essentially, there have been a lot of accusations from some big universities, Louisville, Arizona. University of Miami, that there's some corruption essentially with bribery schemes for assistant coaches at those universities using their relationships to direct players to certain advisors, to certain uh, Adidas. I think the only one that's been discussed so far, certain shoe companies, an Adidas executive even was indicted. So it's pretty ugly. It's going to take down a lot of college programs. Rick Pitino has already been fired. The AD at Louisville has already been fired. The only thing I really have to say about this, I guess, that concerns us is, you know, do we think that this is going to like take down college basketball? Is it going to change the way that players are developed and, you know, of course, in a They are developed in this incredibly hypocritical amateur system in which, hey, guess what? When you try to depress the value of something that has value, in this case, the services of these players, a black market develops like that happens. That's just economics that happens. This is a black market now, Uh, whether it's players, families getting paid or players getting paid under the table or people around them getting paid or whatever you know this is just always going to happen but now with the feds involved as opposed to the toothless ncaa that doesn't have subpoena power it sounds like people have ruled already that they've uh, went into Andy Miller's office and like took his laptop. He's a very powerful agent. Has like Kyle Lowry, Kristaps Porzingis, Miles Turner, Serge Ibaka. Uh, Lowry, uh, an Adidas guy, by the way. Uh, Jeff Teague, I think, is an Adidas guy. Also, another of, of his clients, but. And I don't think that there's anything, you know, Adidas or these schools. I'm sure this goes on everywhere, right? Everyone always says that. But now we're going to really find out. So I don't know. What do you think, Danny, now that I've rambled on about with my thoughts here? Like, is this going to change anything or no?
1: Probably not. I mean, maybe they'll be a little bit less stupid about the way that some of this is done. Like, it seems like there's text message record of some of this, which is a major problem. But I think that too many people like the status quo for it to change in a meaningful way. I support changing it. I don't like I'm not comfortable with the AAU system. I'm not comfortable with the college system. And I wish it would, but the the NBA has not taken the kind of leadership that I would have liked with that. Some people have talked about the club system as being an approach like what what European sports often do and some South American sports do. But America sports don't really have that structure. I mean, we've seen this with the NFL and the NCAA have had a cozy relationship for years using it as a developmental system. And there are untoward things there too. Surprise, surprise. And I I wish that this fostered change. I wish that this forced different entities to step up. And I think the most problematic part of this for me is the understanding that there is always monetary value to these players. And so the NCAA tried to be too cute with it to be like, oh, well, we want to maintain this illusion of, of amateurism and student athletes and all this stuff, even in the one and done ridiculousness. And... We need to be honest about what these players are, you know, their their investments, their future values. And if some of them are going to wash out, you know, if you can make a difference in their lives at an earlier age, that's going to help them. And, yeah, some of those aren't going to pan out. That's the way that it always is. You can miss on older players, too, like Johnny Flynn. Those sorts of things do happen. And so I want to see an approach that kind of works within that. But I have zero optimism that this sort of a thing, even if it's as big as you and I think it could be, is going to be what fosters that change.
0: Yeah, because as you said, there are just so many sunk costs. I mean, there's too much money still in college sports. And somehow people would like to delude themselves that they're seeing the highest level of competition, even though it's just college and it's not the highest level of competition. But there's a ton of money in this. My solution has always been... Just forget it. Like this idea of amateurism, all you just say is, hey, college, you can't pay the player directly if you want to get endorsements, if your boosters want to pay the guy, just deal with it. Because this idea of, oh, we're going to pay players, well, there are plenty of players in the NCAA, whether it's even in football and basketball, not to mention the non-revenue producing sports who aren't worth anything economically, that actually the scholarship that the university is giving them is probably more than they're worth than they're providing. That actually is like a real scholarship as part of making the university what it's supposed to be so now you don't have to have the schools pay you doesn't have to all be equal for everyone when you really have no idea what the market value of these guys is going to be coming into school so just let the market decide outside of the schools you know if these players want to go to this school and get you know they can go to the school because they get exposure and they're going to get more endorsements or they've got Jim Bob's car dealership that's going to give him a car or whatever fine just let him do that isn't that if that's evil isn't that a lot less evil than oh let's enrich you know Chuck Person for nine grand here and 13 grand there so he can steal steer someone to some shady financial advisor who doesn't actually do a good job of advising the guy but just can get in on it on it because he has this connection and he bribed Chuck Person you know it isn't isn't it better to just have it all out in the open and then and let the players benefit than all these people around them?
1: I'm not going to get the adage right, but there's it was an argument in relation to I can't remember which one of the narcotics about like basically if you make it a crime, then you make everybody involved criminals. And so if you open this up, then it it makes it easier for people who want to do the right thing to do the right thing openly and to f- future get more clients. So if you you make it in that way. And yeah, I mean, reform throughout the system, be the whole AEU system, there's a whole bunch of just, just crap in there. And that, I mean, everybody pretty much knows it. And that's an, it's not a necessary evil, but it is an evil that is unavoidable under the current system. And anybody who says otherwise is lying. That is just the way it is because these individuals provide way too much value that they are not getting as compensation. And so if that's the case you're going to see this in in any market but especially in this sort of one and so it it gets into all this negative stuff and it's it's sad in some ways for some of the people involved just because you have all especially with the way the DSA is going to handle this in terms of transfers and all that kind of stuff i'm sure there are going to be people who get really lost in the shuffle here but one thing that I want to see as a very interesting potential avenue here is, could the now G League step up and be a place for some of these guys to go and really develop it? And would the NCA eventually become smart enough and be proactive enough to not have that nullify their amateur slash student athlete status?
0: No, because, I mean, unless they just raise the D League salaries a lot and you're still not under contract to a team, so they have no real desire to develop you on those teams. Now, maybe... What they could do is the, the G League, the league could just say, hey, you know what, like we're going to have three or four teams in the G League that are just unaffiliated with a specific team. And the whole purpose of this is just to develop, you know, wh- whoever we think the 15 best prospects in the g league are that aren't actually on a team yet like that might actually be you know who are still 18 or 19 maybe that's a direction that they could go but as far as paying these guys their market value i think that's really gonna have to get into being collectively bargained most likely uh i think the the last point i want to make here is if you're a college basketball fan wouldn't you rather have who wins and loses be about the basketball situation and like, wouldn't you rather have it be, you know, it's not like which coach can go through these shadowy methods and hire s- some guys like the guy at Arizona or the guy at USC who knows how to like get these bribes done and get the players onto your team. Like, wouldn't you rather just all be above board and it can really be about the actual basketball instead of like, oh, yeah, you know, it's these shadowy payments that are actually going to determine who wins the national championship, like who who can like be lowest about it. Um. Uh, all right, let's move on here. That's probably uh, enough for that, except to say that, I and mean, this thing is going to be huge, right? EYPL got subpoenaed. Andy Miller got subpoenaed. I mean, this isn't just a few people here who are going to, who are you know steering people to a few financial advisors i mean uibl and adidas and it's and to go to an agent too. you know presumably the reason he's being rated is so to find out like who's who they're paying and then how they're contacting these guys you know way before they're supposed to be contacted so it seems like basically the entire apparatus of financial transactions prior to these kids reaching the nba is going to be investigated and
1: uh yeah probably going to get pretty ugly going back to the NBA and their more open finances the clippers got DeAndre Liggins in the Chris Paul trade he had a very light guarantee 2526000 And was traded to the Hawks, which not only got them out of that light guarantee, which they're butting up against the hard cap, which is a potential issue, but also creates a trade exception, which is potentially valuable for them, though, of course, the hard cap is an aforementioned issue.
0: Yeah, that just basically saved them a a little bit of money, uh, $26,000, essentially, because I think that was his his guarantee. Uh, So getting out of that was good. Uh, Injury news. Tony Parker. Mark Spears says he expects to return two months early. Previously, that was supposed to be January. So, I I mean, maybe he's going to be back in November. I would be surprised. But, you know, we'll see what he looks like. He says it's been the hardest thing he's had to do in his career. We mentioned Isaiah Thomas is going to be back in January in theory. Uh, Michael Carter Williams, yet to be cleared for contact. He had PRP, platelet-rich plasma therapy on both knees and... That's not good because it's Julian Stone time or it's Malik Monk, who also still has been struggling with this ankle injury, although Spencer Percy on the last pod said he thinks that's more of a working conditioning issue than the actual ankle. But, you know, maybe it's Batum is the backup point guard, but it's looking ugly that even their stopgap solution isn't ready yet. And then Russell Westbrook also had a PRP injection in his left knee, not practicing yet. Patrick Patterson back on the floor in OKC doing some light Work, but not really ready for uh, for contact, I don't think, either. Uh, what else we got here?
1: We should talk about a couple of front office-slash-management decisions that happened. Today, the Kings extended Vlade Divac and picked up Dave Yeager's options, so now both of them are under contract through 2019-20, for better or for worse. For better, definitely for the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> And I, this is why general managers do win now moves, you know, as, as much as we're critical of them. And, you know, you think about that, if they hadn't invested the money they did in veterans like Zebo and George Hill, I sincerely doubt Vlade gets this contract. It's a neg, it's a perverse incentive. It's moral hazard, but you know what? That's the nature of the business.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's true or not. I, I, th- it seems to me like it would be more based on the cousins trade and and, and getting some young talent uh, on the team. The draft this year, though, Scott Perry was involved somewhat in that as well. But uh, Ronadeve, like, he'll try to do the things that you're supposed to do, right? Like in theory, Vlade Divac traded away Demarcus Cousins. That wasn't a win now move, right? They knew they were going to be taking a step back. At some point, he advocated for that. And so Ranadeve, in theory, is supporting Divots in doing the right thing, rebuilding, or I guess we should say building, because they haven't made the playoffs since 2006, but starting over and not just holding on to Cousins just because, like, hey, I might get fired at any time. We got to win games this year. You know, so he is trying to support him. It's just, I, I think, so that part of it is right. I just think it's, you know, it's just the wrong guy. You know, I think that's really more more the issue you'd be hard pressed to come up with like what vlade has done other than maybe this draft that people seem to be high on i'm not as high on it but uh what he's done that's like oh hey these are good moves like let's let's keep this train going
1: yeah And then the other one is Chicago, Chicago bringing in Doug Collins, who apparently had been communicating with Garpax during the prior year. And he gets to be closer to his son who coaches Northwestern and has been, of course, involved in the Bulls since the pre-Phil Jackson days with Michael Jordan
0: yeah it'd be interesting to see what happens here this is a new voice uh, Collins also being in the organization if they move on from head Fred Hoiberg does provide potentially someone who could come back and coach back and I think it was 2008 Collins did not come back in because he's just like such good friends Jerry Reinsdorf that they didn't want to risk their friendship by having him go back and, and work for Jerry but maybe this will just be a consulting role for Doug, I think he is a better coach than he is a GM. He really failed when he had personnel power in Philadelphia. He he was a big part of things falling apart there. The Andrew Bynum trade, I think he, he was involved in signing Nick Young to kind of a ridiculous contract. There are a lot of things that he did that didn't really work out very well there. And also his philosophy, perhaps he's changed now, but he has not been a big analytics guy. And also his teams were very, very three-point averse, very averse to running. And so that is not at all what Fred Hoiberg's philosophy is. I can't say Fred Hoiberg very well today. Uh, By the way, I was watching... Game seven of the 2003 Western Conference semifinals between actually no 2004 it was Western Conference semifinals between the Wolves and the Kings and other than Sprewell, Sam Cassell and Kevin Garnett. The three guys after that were Irvin Johnson, no A in that Irvin, the the just completely like one of the worst offensive players to ever get big minutes. Mark Madsen then replaced him off the bench. And then Trenton Hassel was the other start. Wally Zerbiak was injured that year. And Kevin Garnett brought that team to a, a fifty-eight win number one seed year, and they ended up losing to the lakers when cassell got hurt in the next round they they beat the kings in that round uh when chris weber missed a a three-pointer that could have tied it at the buzzer but anyway that that was and hoiberg was on that team he was like the seventh guy probably on that team but he and collins not really philosophically at least from what we've last seen from collins eye to eye and is this going to be a reduction in role for Gar Foreman. What does this mean for John Paxson? Could Collins really take over personnel power or is he really just a consultant? Don't really know that yet.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a big question to, to wonder about. And then I think the last thing that we definitely need to discuss, mostly because I find it just such a big looming story, is that Rick Carlisle on media day was talked about not only the possibility, but that it had previously been discussed with his camp that New Noel is not going to start. And there are a, a couple of big elements of this. One of them is, of course, guys who start generally don't play as many minutes. And then the second one being that one of the best opportunities for Nerlens Noel to showcase what he could do as a potential free agent is playing with Dirk Nowitzki because we have seen role guys with Dirk do really well because he the teams can't help and numerous other factors. So if he is not getting that kind of support that could be significant for him this year and for him moving forward.
0: Yeah, obviously you mean that guys who don't start don't play. Yeah,
1: like that's guys. what I mean. But- yeah, and I don't know how much
0: they're gonna yeah, I don't know how much they're gonna play together because Dirk has to be a center defensively to the extent he can play any position defensively. And then Harrison Barnes is by far his best position is the four. And so playing Nerlens and Dirk together, I think for him being on the floor defensively, which is where he's really gonna make his money, by the way. He will get more chances this way, you would think, to be the center defensively. So maybe that will help him. I and mean, he maybe he'll play some minutes with Dirk and can do more offensively, but I don't know that. Dirk, as opposed to Harrison Barnes of the four, really provides that much more spacing at this point in their careers. And so that means Barnes will start at the four, Wes Matthews probably at the three. If Dennis Smith is the one, then maybe it's Seth Curry who will play two for for them. That's that'll be their starting lineup, I guess.
1: That is my expectation. Yeah. And that's actually a topic that jonathan charks talked about when i did the real Jam radio on this division with him and rob mahoney he brought it up this is like a month ago and rob and i were both just kind of flabbergasted because we're, we're both such big new Orleans fans and he's like yeah
0: i could see this yeah mcmahon said the same thing on my yeah. show you know a, l- a little bit ago too and i by the way kudos to tim for calling that tony allen would not return to memphis uh he got that one right too uh give him tim a McMahon, shot. Be, very, yeah, tim mcmahon it, very good at rob. his job yes
1: but yeah, so, I mean, we we were both kind of flummoxed by that just because of our belief in Nurlands as a player, but, I mean, you can see where Carlisle is going with it, and especially the idea that Dirk, it's so much better for him to start games, that it isn't necessarily like, oh, he's one of their best players, and of course, his history with the team, it's that he needs to start because that's physically what's best for him to go through warm-ups and then play.
0: Yeah, a little bit more, P.J. Tucker dealing with a hamstring injury early in camp, nothing too concerning there but hamstrings obviously can linger but it doesn't look no indication he's gonna miss time quite yet and all right, i think we're done here uh we'll bring on fred Katz momentarily here right after this before we move on here I want to tell you about our sponsor, Betterment. Betterment presents financial fact number 24. Not all financial advisors are required by law to act in your best interest. This means that if you're better off investing in company A, they may advise you to invest in company B because they may get a kickback from that transaction. A financial advisor that commits to providing advice in your best interest is called a fiduciary, and Betterment is a fiduciary. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor and promises to act in its customers' best interest. How? Betterment is built on technology to bring you sophisticated investing and financial advice that is constantly working to optimize your money to help you reach your financial goals, all to lower cost and more traditional financial services. If you like talking to a person, Betterment also offers calls with their team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. Regardless of what service you prefer, you pay only a flat fee starting at 0.25%. There are no additional charges for transactions, transfers, or rebalancing. Betterment also offers other special tools as well, like Tax Impact Preview, allowing you to see the estimated effect any moves you make may have on your tax liability. Not all investment services tell you what your tax bill could be because they may make money from your transactions. Betterment also has Smart Deposit, which allows you to automatically invest any funds above a certain balance in your bank account. This is a great time to get started with Betterment and save for your retirement or other financial goals because Dunktown listeners can get up to six months of no management fees. Learn how at betterment.com slash That's betterment.com slash cap so I want to bring in Fred Katz now because our Thunder prediction pod is obsolete. We're going to nail him down and make him do some new predictions, but also he's been around the team now with this Carmelo Anthony trade and really wanted to see what his thoughts are, get an idea of how all these guys are going to be used, what the vibes are at this moment so far. Uh, so Fred Katz, how are you?
2: I'm good. I, am, uh, I don't really sleep anymore. I thought that my last weekend before the season starting was going to be okay. I can, I, I made all these plans for Saturday to hang out with people and, and then like, nope, nothing. Like, I was like, nothing's going to happen on the Saturday before media day. That's going to be like the slowest day possible, right? Nope, not true at all.
0: Yeah. Well, so were you at the airport with legions of adoring Thunder fans? Uh, Watching Carmelo get off the plane?
2: I was. I still maintain that, like, going to the airport to see some dude walk off an airplane and then walk away is, like, just about the weirdest thing a person can do.
0: Uh, no, I, I could come up with a few others, per, perhaps. Uh, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's it's not something that i've ever done i'll, I'll put it that way but i just hey, don't you know, get I'm not why people take it. their
2: time to do it i just they're there for, people are there for like two hours i guess i was there too but like it's my job like i just i just don't understand i i was not having fun there i don't understand the appeal i don't get it well i mean you're just
0: there with like a bunch of un- other thunder fans who you might not even know right like you can just like meet some other like huge thunder fans that you and just have some cool conversations and maybe just meet some cool people it's like dating for thunder fans almost if you go there
2: (laughs) it's like it's like speed dating one thing that i will say that was pretty cool about it was there was a group of fans who just brought a ton of sleeveless hoodies that they were wearing and passing out to a bunch of fans so there were a ton of people there that were dressed like hoodie mellow dressed up as hoodie mellow and i thought that was really funny that was creative i was into that that was a very good idea Yeah, and I'm never gonna
0: knock anything that shows like fan passion because you know that like pays our salaries. So it's
2: kind of it's kind of yeah. But I'm a curmudgeon. Uh, I'm like I'm like a 80 year old man in a 28 year old's body. So don't ignore that part.
0: (laughs) No, you have like the body of a 26 year old. Actually, here.
2: Actually, Uh, I have like I have the body of like a 50 year old.
0: Okay, I (laughs) promise you this will be 15 minutes.
1: Okay, (laughs) Okay. we'll go 15 minutes.
0: 15 minutes. Uh, so yeah, first of all, I and mean, uh, what's the mood like in OKC now? I mean, is there trepidation that this is only for one season? Is everyone just
2: really happy? Like, what's it been like? They seem real chipper. I don't think there's very much trepidation. And I, I don't know if they know what's going to happen at the end of the year. And when I say they, I mean, the people in the front office, the coaching staff, uh, you know, a bunch of the players, I don't think they know, but I think they're pretty pumped. I mean, if you look at even if it's for one year, you know, especially if you look at it from, from each individual who are, who's at the top of the team, you know, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, even if they're there for one year, from just purely a basketball perspective, they're all in better basketball situations than they were a year ago. I mean, Paul George wasn't happy in Indiana. Now he's playing with two really good guys who are much better than whoever you might have considered to be the second best player on that Indiana team last year. Carmelo Anthony obviously had his, his problems in New York. Uh, and Russell Westbrook felt like at times last year he was getting frustrated. Uh, and that was true for, I think, behind the scenes at times as well, too. The fact that he's got players next to him, you know, with, I, I always thought the Russell has nobody next to him narrative was a little bit overplayed. I thought Victor Oladipo was better than people have now said that he is. I think he's there's been a lot of kind of Oladipo bashing this summer, uh, which I think is what happens when there's an obviously lopsided trade. People just get a little carried away right. from it. But that being said, like, Offensively, there was just nobody close to Russell Westbrook's level on that team last year. I think we can all agree on that. And uh this year there are two guys who who are, you know, very good scorers with the ball. And it went from like one of their biggest strengths, uh biggest weaknesses to one of their biggest strengths. I think Russell's really excited about that too. So they they seem really really giddy so far. Uh, it's a it's a different mood than it was last year. There was a good locker room last year, but it's just kind of a different mood. Uh, I they think that they are I think they think that they are as good as any other team in the league, which right, they have a right to feel that way, even if, uh, you know, if you ask me, I, I'd still say Golden State, but they have a right to feel that way. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, any player who's really like in the top 15 or 20 in the league, he kind of thinks of himself as at the same level as like the top guys, you know, so they're like, oh, hey, we got... Carmelo, who has been that guy at times, but maybe not for the last couple of years, but still thinks of himself that way, I'm sure. And everyone else seems to. Uh, And then Paul George, obviously, is, you know, and Westbrook, all those guys probably think of themselves as like on the same level as Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant. You know, which I think Golden State clearly has more talent, but just in terms of having, you know, now guys who are in the top 20 or top 25 in the league, you know, or at least perceive themselves that way. I totally understand it. So, uh, how's this all going to work? How are they going to use uh, Carmelo Anthony? Uh, he, he will not be coming off the bench. He certainly made that that much clear.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I guess he. I guess he's definitely not coming off the bench. And Billy Donovan uh, confirmed that and said he's going to start a power forward. I wonder what the reaction. I should have asked this because, like, all my friends from growing up are huge Knicks fans, and and I didn't ask them this yet. I'm going to shoot a. A text to like my group text from my home friends and i'm gonna ask oh, them, is like, this gonna
0: be how he's like totally willing to play the four now
2: uh-huh i'm just gonna text him and ask him like how many times have you punched yourself in the face watching that clip or reading that quote over again because like there were so many texts in our group thread for so many years and like i don't understand why he won't play the four 2012 13 played the four the offense opened up he's just better at the four and now he's like, "Yeah, I'm totally willing to play the four because of the basketball situation. Why? He said it is in a way of like, why wouldn't I be willing to play yeah. the four?
0: And I just it's much easier than it was four years ago when you don't have to like bang sure. in the post, though. It's like it's just not as it's not doesn't seem as difficult.
2: Absolutely. Uh, it's still funny, though, to imagine the reaction to that. I think the Thunder acquired Carmelo Anthony. Now, they didn't request a meeting with him before officially making the trade. They kind of assumed that he was going to be able to look at the roster, see Paul George, see Russell Westbrook, and size up what his role was going to be just kind of by intuition. And um, it seems like to a degree that he's done that. He's said all the right things. We'll see what actually happens once they actually take the court. But I'll tell you this much. The Thunder front office and the Thunder coaching staff, they believe— the, you know this concept of Olympic mellow, which we've really only seen in the actual Olympics. We we've never actually seen that yeah. in. And, uh, and by the way, the he NBA. wasn't any
0: good. In, he wasn't any good in the last Olympics.
2: No, way. he shot like thirty nine percent from the field or something like that in yeah. uh, in in Rio. But you know the concept of Olympic mellow is still a thing. You know he's an elite yeah. catch and shoot guy. He's still he's still a great catch and shoot guy. I mean he was forty three percent on catch and shoot three pointers last year compared to twenty six percent on pull up threes. I mean the the disparity there is just unbelievable. And they believe that they can turn him into you know the concept of Olympic mellow. And if he's he if he can shoot uh, you know the vast majority of his his threes catch and shoot. Not have to pull up very much, not have to take those mid-rangeers, not have to exhaust himself running an offense. They can just give him easy shots with Russell Westbrook kicking to him or Paul George swinging to him, or yeah, he's never been extremely willing as a pick and roll guy. Uh, but if they can just find ways to just get him easy catch and shoot looks, like man, I, I think he still has the skill set, even though he's not as you know he's not as good as he was five years ago. But he still has a skill set to where he can be an excellent scorer, especially in a role like that. And they think that they're going to be able to have him use that role. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure if it's going to mesh, especially not off the bat. But I'm super interested to see exactly how they're going to go about doing it.
0: The two things that pop out to me, I think he's going to be absolutely fine, right? Because he just uh, and a lot of times they're not going to put their best guy on him. They'll put their best guy on Paul George and he'll be able to. Go eat against that guy, but he he's a scorer, you know. He's I think last year twenty nine percent usage was like nearly the lowest of his career, right? And Paul George on the other hand is not quite as pure of a scorer, and also Paul George has a bunch of other stuff that he can do on the floor. But you know, he loves having the ball in his hands just as much. I think that it's going to be more a question of us seeing like Melo is shooting too much and doing too much, and George isn't doing enough, and that George might even see it that way. Potentially as well. So that's one factor that I'm going to be monitoring. And then the other one is what is the role of Andre Robertson going to be now? Is he, how is he going to be used offensively? Are they going to maybe take him off the floor? Because they figure, hey, you know what? Like, there's no point in, like, we've got Paul George to guard these guys already. He's not taking a huge offensive role. So now maybe we can get this guy off the floor. He's killing our offense, and maybe we'll pay Patterson more, or or maybe Jeremy Grant can give a, a little bit more size at, at the four. Abrinas, you know, too, and, add and some And move down Abrinas. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I knew, of course, you had to mention him. Uh, but, yeah, it's <laughs> uh, based on our, on our last show. So, yeah, that, those are the two things I, I'm going to be most curious to see how they work. What do you think of those?
2: Yeah, I, I think, to your Robertson point, I actually think they really like Roberson as a fit in that starting lineup. Now, I don't know if he's gonna play you know over thirty minutes a game again, but I think this is the fit where they really like him because they've always liked him next to a big forward. They really liked him as a fit next to next to Kevin Durant. What they don't wanna see is they don't wanna see him taking three three pointers a game this year again. They just they they don't wanna see that, especially in this. And I think I don't the spacing think around does. him. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and I think the spacing the spacing that they're going to be able to have with George and Mello out there, which is obviously going to be so improved from the spacing in last year's offense, I think it's going to allow him to— In the postseason, it's it's weird how they use him so differently in the postseason from how they do in the in the regular season. It's not just like a numbers thing where he tends to be better in the postseason. He's just a more active ball screener. He's he's a more active cutter. Like I, I think if they use him in that sort of way, if he can be more active off the ball and with more spacing, it's easier to be more active in the ball. It's easier to find, you know, holes within a defense and and ways to get to the basket untouched and that kind of stuff. Like I, I think that would be an effective way to use him if they could do that for 27 minutes a game i think that would be a really nice thing and, and and the fact that paul george won't have to guard the best perimeter guy on the on the other end of the floor i think they see a lot of value in that like he can do it yeah. but the fact that he won't have to i think they they think that's really valuable with robertson because he's an excellent perimeter defender
0: yeah i still think paul george is better than him when he really locks in especially against guys who are a little bit stronger you know if it's Kawhi Leonard, for example, or KD, I think George is a better option perhaps than Robertson. I think Robertson does a little better on small guy. I think you've even said that before on the show. Um, Two more questions before we get to our predictions. What's the story at backup center now? Is cancer gone?
2: Yeah, it's really intriguing. I mean, they got 14 guys on the roster, so it is possible they, you know, just hold it and, and go with two point guards and, and maybe sign a, a point guard to a two a because they have an opening on a two way too. It's just Daniel Hamilton on the two a right now. Dakari Johnson is there, but. I'm not anticipating him getting regular minutes. Nick Collison is there. Maybe they use him in emergency situations, and maybe he gets a little more minutes than he did last year, and maybe they just hold out and wait for a buyout guy. Uh, If they go into this regular season with this roster, my guess is that Nick Collison is going to get some more minutes than he did last year. I don't think he's going to be there playing every single game, and I think a lot of reserve units, you might be able to get away with Patrick Patterson or Jeremy Grant playing the five, but my worry if I'm the Thunder and I just go with a, Patrick Patterson, Jeremy Grant, front court uh, in my bench lineups is that lineup is going to have serious rebounding issues. I mean, Patrick Patterson is a below average rebounder for a four. And if he's your five, that's a problem. Jeremy Grant is like a below average rebounder for a four as yeah. well, maybe even for a three. So that's that's a problem that that unit ah, is but going they just to
0: have. Can have uh, they could just have Russell Westbrook play with those guys and then he'll just get a rebound because he's a great yeah. rebounder. Cats, so you know that? <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, Melo's a good rebounder. Paul George is a good rebounder. Like those, you guys... may not
0: have heard this. He actually averaged more than ten rebounds per game last year. <laughs> An underrated
2: stat there. Your snarkiness is unprecedented right now.
0: <laughs> no, I think it's totally precedent. I think those jokes have, were, were made like ad nauseum last year already. But I, I'm ramping back up now. I'm getting into into. Uh... Full season mode here. This is our last show before we're going to five days a week. So I got to start really. <laughs> I got to start really getting it going here. Um. Well,
2: yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wonder what's going to happen with that second unit. I, I'm not. I'm not 100 uh, percent what's going to happen, but I, I think. Look, if there's one thing that I know about Billy Donovan's coaching style, it's that that dude is going to change his rotations every single game a little bit. Something is going to be different, and he's going to change depending on the matchup. So I think we're going to see some calls at the five, some Grant at the five, some Patterson at the five. Maybe Dakari Johnson, if it's like you know, if they're playing like Al Jefferson or something, and and that you know that could be okay because Dakari's an okay low post scorer, but I just I don't really see him getting any sort of meaningful minutes this year. Uh But I I, I kind of that's the way I would play it with this roster. Yeah, and
0: I, I you mentioned the a buyout candidate. Some center is going to be available at the deadline. Some center will be available for buyouts. Like they're getting just like a serviceable backup center who probably like isn't even necessarily going to play against a team like golden state or houston in the playoffs like that's not going to be that hard you know like that, that's going to be a 10 minute a game role, they'll find someone like the, I don't think they should be like, oh, we don't have a backup center. We got to make a move before the season starts. Uh, um, oh, actually, there is one other thing I want to say too. This is going to be a massive luxury tax bill now, uh, $28.7 million in luxury tax as it stands right now uh, for owner Clay Bennett. Kyle Singler, they have to move him this year, right? Like, I mean, it seems like nearly fait accompli at this point
2: they would like to move him that that's that is certainly true yeah. i mean he's 5 million this series 5 million next year last year that deal is is non-guaranteed so so that's something you can right. you can obviously get out of that um but yeah i mean they would they would like to move him if they don't uh i would be shocked if they didn't stretch him next summer uh with 5 million, sure. 5 million guaranteed left on the deal two total years cuz he's got the non guaranteed so that's what 5 million stretched over over what five years. Uh, so it'd be about a million yeah. a year. Yeah.
0: That would be, that so would I would totally be totally doable.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a really, really doable, doable stretch. That would be totally fine. You know, less than, a little less than 1% of the cap, but yeah, I mean, they would love to include something to unload him. I, I you could probably speak to speak to it better than I could after, and what you'd have to give up to just to be able to give him into somebody's space There obviously aren't very many options. Yeah. In I mean, it's to hard that. to
0: imagine it's, and they don't really have picks than, to do it. Yeah, it's hard to imagine it's less than, like, a first runner. Maybe it would be, you know, they attach a Abrinas to him. Or or maybe it could even be Jeremy Grant, you know, that they attach
2: to him, right? Grant. I don't know if they want to do that, though. Like, do you really want to go, like, do you really want to go... All in on a season to the degree that they have, yeah. it, it, only to save some money by giving away a guy who they. Well, like, yeah. wh- whatever you or I think of Jeremy Grant, they strongly believe Jeremy Grant is a rotation piece who's going to help. And do they want to give that away to save? save some dollars uh maybe I mean, the, it's possible we're talking about I, like, I i don't we're know we're
0: talking about 15 million dollars though and like yeah no I mean, it's if, gonna if make a big difference it, in the tax you could you could change the tax yeah, rate yeah you could get close to getting another jeremy grant just by putting in 5.1 million dollars into a trade next year you know i mean and also the thing is if with grant a free agent next year if they do somehow manage to bring all these guys back he's gone anyway They're, they won't be able to afford him likely if if Uh, maybe they would if he's just you know signs for three million a year or something but if he's as good as they think he's going to be they wouldn't be able to afford him so uh you know i think i think i would do that and he's
2: unrestricted too if he's not happy with minutes or something he sees a better
0: opportunity somewhere else he can just go yeah that's true and then also i think that on the buyout market again they for a team like this they could find an adequate replacement for him if that's what it took to attach him to to get rid of singular because I mean the 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 monetary savings are just so high there. Uh, all right, let's do uh let, let's revise our predictions here. I'll go first. Uh, to refresh the listeners' memories, you predicted fifty two wins. I had fifty one. Uh, I said I would bump it up by two or three. I think I will go with torn between fifty three and fifty four. I think I will go with uh, fifty four wins for
2: this group. I think I'm gonna go fifty six.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean I think, I think it's 56. very possible. I, I actually had a higher when we did our best case, my best case was fifty nine and yours was fifty five. So I would bump that up again to to like sixty one. Uh what would you think about a best case?
2: I, I think sixty I think sixty one sounds good. Like they can they they can win sixty. Yeah. I mean they, they're the so defense. Much talent. It's all
0: gonna be the defense. I mean they, they have to I mean unless Robertson just kills them, like this team is gonna score a lot of points.
2: Oh, yeah. It's amazing how different. Isn't it hilarious how different the evaluation of this team is from last year when like that sentence you just said is accurate?
0: Yeah, no, it is. It's pretty remarkable what uh, Presti has managed to do by repeatedly trading nothing for lots of something's uh, start. I mean, this last three trades, the Taj Gibson, McDermott, Bulls second round pick for campaign was amazing. And then. The George trade and now this mellow trade, which you know, I, I don't think I, I reacted negatively to it at first. I actually don't think the Knicks did as badly. The more I think about it, especially considering it's no trade, it's hard to evaluate it. Uh, I mean, it's I probably, don't think
2: the Knicks. Yeah. I don't think the Knicks were getting anything more. I mean, right. There, right. there's no question that what they got is not equal to the value of Carmelo Anthony. But eh. the best, the best piece. The best piece on the market that they could have gotten, I think, was that Bulls pick. They weren't getting a first rounder for him. No. And I think the best... If they wanted to make a deal just so they could get the best piece possible and the best piece they could possibly get in an offer was that unprotected Bulls second rounder and they wanted a little more scoring. Yeah. And if they yeah. believe in McDermott, then like I I get it. Like I think it's a very defensible trade, even if you believe that those pieces are not equal to Carmelo Anthony, because there's just you can make the argument they had to get rid of them for both cultural and basketball reasons. And, uh, yeah, that, that Chicago pick is about as good as you're going to get for a second rounder.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks for doing this little reprisal here, uh, but you have an exciting new project uh, that I actually didn't even find out about. I, I wish I could say you came on the show to plug it, but I didn't even find out about it until we started talking beforehand.
2: <laughs> Shows how well we're doing with marketing. Um, yeah, yeah. doing, doing a new podcast. It's called the okc dream team because we're really cocky and uh it's me me and uh two other guys john ham who's a, a local radio guy here oh, yeah. john ham uh, is uh
0: john ham's about as good as it gets with the cap stuff he's great
2: he's awesome this is not the actor uh but he is uh he is great he's fantastic and he's he's a great personality too and good friend of mine and andrew Schleck, another good friend of mine who's a blogger super bright great great you know does great thunder analysis really funny and uh Royce Young from ESPN is going to be a frequent guest on the show as well. We just started last week. We're doing it on Patreon, so you can just go to patreon.com slash OKC Dream Team, $4 a month to subscribe. You can still listen to it in your podcast app, so all you have to do is just copy the link that we send you uh, and just put in your podcast app to, to add it. It's super, super easy. And uh, yeah, it's really fun. We're going once a week. Once we get up to 1,000 subscribers, we're going to start doing some more content as well on the side. We're up to almost 800 at the time we're recording this right now, and just started last week, so like we're we're pretty excited about it.
0: No that's awesome and obviously this is this is the season to do it if you're uh, interested in thunder stuff. All right thanks for coming on buddy and uh we will talk to y'all next time till then.